I want to talk today about a topic from the book of Proverbs that when I initially made the list of all the, all the topics, it was not on my list because this topic that we're going to be talking about today is not something that normally comes into our mind. But I want to just concede at the beginning of this message, I want to say the same thing here that I said in the earlier service. What we're going to be thinking about and what I'm going to be talking about for the next 30 minutes is if I've ever done a message or preached a sermon where I felt in my heart of hearts, as best as I can discern the Holy Spirit, that I'm on the right topic, this is it today. I just, it was confirmed yesterday morning, it was confirmed through the day yesterday, and when I feel an impression that strongly, uh, I say, you know what, I don't care what was scheduled, I've got to go with where I believe God's leading me to go, and I really believe that this is the topic today, and the topic is vision. Vision. You know, one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is our physical vision. Without it, most all of the things that we have done so far today, we could not have done. Certainly, we could not have done those things by ourselves. We couldn't have gotten up and taken a shower and and gotten dressed and prepared breakfast, eaten breakfast. Certainly, we couldn't have driven to church or even walked in the worship center by ourselves if we didn't have our physical vision. Now, I don't know how you feel about your vision or if you ever even think about it, but It's one of the things every morning when I wake up, before I ever get out of bed, I have a mental list of things that I thank God for. It's pretty much the same thing every day. And on that list, I say, God, I thank you for my eyes that I can see. Because that is extremely important to me and it's extremely important to us. So our physical vision is one of the greatest and most important things we have. But right behind that, and maybe in another sense, even more important than that, is our spiritual vision. Now, when I talk about spiritual vision, I'm talking about God's vision, God's will for your life, what God wants you to see. Sometimes in life, when we're going through challenging, difficult circumstances, we need to, get a, we need to see the situation, how God sees it. We need His vision so that we can make it through in the right way. And so today, we're talking about God's vision. You need a vision for your personal life. I do too. You need a vision for your family. And we here at First Baptist always need, and God has been faithful through the years to always give us one, a vision for our church. Now, that's what we're going to be thinking about today. But before we get into it, open your Bible, if you would, to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 29. Proverbs 29, and we're just looking at the half of one verse today, and I want to quote it out of the old King James. Now, normally I preach out of the new King James because that's the one I grew up with and I'm familiar with it, but on this particular verse, the old King James, I think, says it better than all the other translations, and here's what it says, Proverbs 29, 18, where there's no vision, the people perish. Say that with me. Where there's no vision, the people perish. And so here you are in your life, your family, your business. Here we are at a church. The Bible says if we don't have a vision, if we can't see what God wants us to see, where God wants us to move, and what the next step is, the Bible says we're going to perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Now, how do we get this vision? Well, in Bible times, God frequently gave people what we would call literal visions. They would be asleep and they would have a dream. And in that dream, they would see whatever it was God wanted them to see, whatever it was God wanted them to do. Sometime a person might be awake and God would put them in what we might call today some kind of a spiritual trance. They weren't asleep, but they were in another world spiritually and they had a vision and they were able to see 
what God wanted them to see and what God wanted them to do. Now, certainly today, if God wants to give us a dream or a vision literally like that, he certainly can. But more often than not, in today's time, when God gives us a vision, it would be an impression in our heart, a thought in our mind that's never contrary to the word of God and that is also confirmed by those around you. Now, here we are at First Baptist and we're thinking today about where there's no vision, the people perish. Now, as we're coming to what we all hope and believe is the back end of COVID, this thing is gonna end one of these days or at least get to where it doesn't affect people's lives quite as much as it has for the last year and a half plus. But months ago, when we started having services again, each morning service had about 300 people coming to it. And little by little, that began to grow, 325, 350, 400, 450, 500, 556. You know, last Sunday morning, uh, when you add the first service up and this service up, we had 1,300 people, a little bit more, 1,300 people in the two morning services, plus there were 200 kids in the children's area and the nursery. We had 1,500 people were at church last week, and we're just continuing to see, little by little, slowly but surely, one step forward, two steps forward, one step back, but it's getting up. And so we've been talking and thinking lately, as we look towards 2022, what would be a vision, what, not just something we could dream up, but like, what is God's vision for First Baptist Church as we move into the new year? Well, as we were thinking about that, we were thinking, well, maybe what we should challenge the people to do is say in this service here, where we probably have around 600 people today, how about let's set a goal to have 750 people in this service, maybe 800 people, maybe 1,000 people in this service. It looked like it did on Easter Sunday. 1,000 people in that. And we could challenge both services for, those, for that goal. And we thought, well, that would be really a, a good goal to have. As we were, I wouldn't say praying like you would talk about earnest prayer about that, but as we were kind of in a time of meditation, just thinking that through, out of the blue, literally out of the blue, this thought pops into our minds and so quickly, and you are the same with me, you know when God speaks, God has a lot of ways of speaking to us. His primary way of speaking to us is through his word, the Bible. But God, remember this, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you. Believe that, say amen. It's true. And God will speak to you. And at least my experience, when God speaks to me by his spirit, it'll be like quick, like But it might take me 10 or 15 minutes to process. Now, what was all that that God said? Because God just gave you this thought and then you step back and you begin to process the ramifications of it and try to get clarity on that. Well, this is exactly what happened. As we were thinking about, God, what is your vision for 2022 here in, at First Baptist in Pasadena? This is the thought that, popped, that came to us and it has stayed with us. And we shared it with the staff last week in staff meeting. And in a moment, I'll tell you the response there. But here is the vision as best we can understand. And I, I want to have enough humility to say, as best as we can understand the, the, the voice of God, this is the vision. I want you to listen to it and make your own mind up. Maybe this, you'll say, that's just a wild hair. You say, they just dreamed that up. You're going to say, I think they've lost their minds. Well, now remember, that's always a possibility there that we could have lost our minds. But here was what came to us. God, should we, is the vision 800 in each service, 1,000 in each service? And here it was from God. I believe it was from God. 10% of the community around the church, 
Here's God's vision for us, that 10% of the community around our church would be at First Baptist Church every single Sunday. Well, if we had that many, you'd have to have multiple services, Saturday, Sunday. But 10% of the community would be here every weekend worshiping the Lord. Now, when you start trying to define what does community mean, well, there are over 150,000 people in Pasadena. And there are over 30,000 people in Deer Park and over 30,000 people in LaPorte. So you add all those numbers up, it gets to be over 200,000. But we have people come from Kema and Seabrook and Clear Lake and other places, some driving Baytown and distances. But as we think about the community, and let me just say this up front, what we said to the staff, how you define community is an arbitrary number. I mean, you know, you could do it by cities. Or, but years ago, we did something called the Jerusalem Project where we drew a circle around our church, a five-mile radius, and we went to every house within that radius. Or we tried our best to go to every house. That was over 47,000 houses. So for easy math, let's say 50,000 houses in a five-mile radius of our church. And let's say each house has three people living in that house. And so that would mean within a five-mile radius of our church, there are 150,000 people living. So 10% of 150,000 would be 15,000 people. And so as we were thinking, God, should we challenge the people? 800 in each service, 750, 1,000 in each service. That'd be, we'd keep me moving up. Little by little, it'd be a great thing. There was, there was the word. There was the thought. There was the impression. There was the, what we believe to be a rhema. 15,000 people in church at First Baptist every weekend. Now, what I know is this. If a church, any church, our church or any other church, can have 10% of their community in church on, in the, on, on Sunday, in the weekend, that church, just by the sheer numbers of that percentage, has an incredible impact on the community. And the way I know this is I grew up in a church like that. I grew up in a town much smaller than our town. I say we have over 150,000 here in Pasadena. I grew up in Sulphur Springs, Texas, and there were about 15,000 people in the town. But here was what was unique about that town and about that church. The church had almost, if not some weeks, more than 10% of the town in the church. Sunday school attendance was over 1,200 uh, in average attendance. The, uh, people, some people came to church, didn't go to Sunday school. So you get to that 1,500. In fact, the most we ever had in Sulphur Springs when I was growing up was 1,845 people in Sunday school one morning. And the reason I can remember that is that's the year Texas became a state. That's where we were founded. So I always remember that. Baylor was founded, Texas was founded, and we had that many in Sunday school. So what I'm saying, it's a small town, but so many of the people in the town go to that church that that church has a, had and has a phenomenal impact on the community. Now, I'm going to give you an example or two. In other words, when you have, look, look at like, just like all these students today in Austin's telling about the great report from the, from the retreat they just had. Like the impact that, that a church can have on the school. Now, there was just one high school in the town I grew up in. We've got a lot of high schools around here. But when we would play a home game on a Friday night, after the game, not every game, but maybe once or twice a year, back at First Baptist, they would have, we would have something called a fifth quarter because a football game has four quarters, and so a fifth quarter is a quarter after the game. And we would say to all the kids who were growing up in church, hey, y'all come to the church for the fifth quarter, hamburgers, hot dogs, we got everything going on. Invite your friends, and we'll see you at the fifth quarter in the parking lot or in the gym. And everybody came. The coaches came. 
parents, the kids all came, family, parents, hundreds of people. Why? Because there you had 10% of the town in the church. Now, here we have Deer Park High School, LaPorte High School, Memorial High School, Sam Rayburn High School, Clear Lake High School, our own First Baptist Christian Academy, high school, junior high, and low. Can you imagine the impact that our church could have on this community for the kingdom of God if we had 15,000 people every weekend worshiping God in these facilities? And that's what we shared last week in staff meeting. And when we got finished, I said, I want to, we want to give every staff member an opportunity to respond to that vision. You think it's, of, and here's what we say. Do you think that's of God? Or do you think we dream that up? And I want to really know, what do you think it is? And I've called on Jimmy first. I said, Jimmy, what do you think? Is that vision of God or is that just something we dreamed up? And he said, you know, John, he said, that vision is so big. That vision is, is it, it, I don't think you could have dreamed, y'all could have dreamed that up because it's just so, you could have dreamed up 800 or 1,000 per service. But to say 15,000 people, and we went around and to a person, every staff member said, we believe in our spirit that that vision is from God. And one of the staff members, it may have been Pam Deshaun, I'm not sure, I think it might have been her. One of the staff members said, John, in order for that vision to become a reality, there has to be a mental shift at First Baptist in the minds of us as the staff and the people. And the, for that vision to happen, the people have to begin to see beyond anything that they ever have that that vision is so big that they are very needed to make that, I mean, like that you have to see yourself as a minister and we all have to get in here together. You know, this distinction in church history between the clergy and the laity is a phony, fake, unbiblical distinction. The Bible says that all of us are ministers of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. You should have said amen right there. You thought, John, I thought that was your job. Well, it is, but it's your job too. We're all ministers, and we have to begin to see ourselves. You don't look at me or my dad or Chris or whoever's up here. You, don't, you can't just look up and say, those are our ministers. Yes, we are the ministers along with you, and you're the ministers. And if we could have 15,000 people in church on the weekends, it would be an unbelievable thing, and we would be able to make an impact on this community beyond anything that we have ever made. Now, let me back off of that and, and, and say this. That's the vision, 15,000 people in church. Now, let me ask you, before I even get into the next part of this, and I don't want you, I'm just, in your heart of hearts, having just heard that, I'm gonna treat it like a staff meeting. Do you think that we dreamed that up, that we made that up, or that that was just a wild hair or a crazy idea that sometime we all get, an idea comes to our mind? Or let me, I'm asking you, do you think that it is even remotely possible that that idea originated from God in heaven. How many believe it could have been from God in heaven? You believe that? Well, and, and the reason that, that I'm asking this is that in order for it to happen, we all have to believe it. <laughs> you know, you, you can't just say, well, you know, John believes, Dr. Revan believes, the staff believes. No, we are all the ministers. We are all the part of this church, and we have to believe God has given us a vision 
that is so big, it not only will take all of us doing our part, it will take a fresh moving of the Spirit of God beyond anything we've ever known to reach 15,000 people for Jesus Christ on the weekends, every weekend here at First Baptist. Now, let me back off that and say this. this is, we're in college football season right now. Let me kind of lighten it up a little bit. Tough day for the Aggies yesterday. Tough day for the Good day for the Baylor Bears yesterday. Bad day for Oklahoma yesterday. But we're in football season. Now, if you follow sports, and I do, I don't normally sit down and watch a whole game. It just takes too long. But I know at the end of the day who played and who won. But I just, four hours for one game is just a long time. But I keep up with it, and I know what's going on. If you follow successful programs, college football programs, and you follow their coaches, you know, and I'm thinking about one coach right now who I will not name because you might not like him, but he lives in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and he's been pretty successful. But he says this, every year their goal is to win a national championship. That's their goal every year. Now, they don't win it every year, but they win it a lot of years. It'll be interesting to see what happens this year. Probably not their best team they've ever had, but in a big game, you be crazy to bet against him probably. But he says this, every year our goal is to win a national championship. He said, but after that goal is stated to the team, we don't spend any more time talking about the goal. Because if all we do is talk about the goal, it's just wishful thinking. It's just daydreaming. It's just like, okay, we want to win a national championship. In other words, if you're a football coach, a college or pro or high school coach, you can't get with your team on Monday afternoon and say, okay, guys, the goal now is to win the game this weekend. We want to win the game, win the game, win the game. And all, that's all you ever say. We want to win the game, win the game, win the game. Be like me saying, we want to have 15,000, 15,000. Okay, now, 50. no, you have the goal. You know the vision, but you don't focus on that. You put in place a process. And that's what Coach Saban says. He said, what we do at the University of Alabama, we have a goal, but we don't talk about the goal. We talk about the process that we have to have in place in order for the goal, the dream, the vision to become a reality. And for him, that process is studying tape, blocking, tackling, executing, wrapping up. I mean, that, that's the process. And if you'll do these things, you can achieve the goal. Now, we're wanting to have... 15,000 people in church here on the weekends. How, what is the process? Because we don't just come out here every week and say, hey, we want to have 15,000. No, we don't even want to talk about that very much, very often. But what we do want to talk about is the process. And if we will go through this process, and if God will bless this, and I know that he will, and help us in this, we can reach multiplied hundreds or thousands of people for Jesus. And let me say this, we may never reach 15,000 people on the weekend. We may reach 20, we may reach 10, we may reach five. I don't know what we'll reach, but I know this, I would rather live my life and I would rather end my life trying to reach people for Jesus Christ, having a goal, having a vision, helping people go to heaven and not hell than to live my life down here. No goal, no dream, no vision, no process. If you do it that way, you play it safe, can't lose. Listen, I'd rather lose trying to, fulfill God's calling on our lives. When I say lose, you really can't lose, but I'd rather fall short of the goal than to not have a goal and just flounder through life with no real direction. And so the process that I want to mention today involves five steps. And I'm not going to spend much time on this, but I'm going to mention all five of these and comment on them. The first thing that we have to do is to pray. 
We have to pray as though it all depends on God because there is a sense in which it does all depend on God. Friend, let me say to you today, you couldn't have gotten out of bed today without God. You couldn't be where you are today without God. Everything depends on God. We have to pray. God said, call to me and I will answer you. But as we pray, we have to keep this in mind. And this is good not only for the church, but in your life. This is good theology. You know, some people, and we have to all guard against this, when it comes to God and spiritual things, they they have a full heart, but their head's not necessarily full. Their theology's not that great. Other people, they have a full head, great theology. They have a cold, empty heart. We want to have a full heart and a full head. Remember this when you pray, but whether you're praying for healing, whether you're praying for a financial breakthrough, or today we're talking about praying for our church, praying doesn't guarantee the desired outcome. But praying puts us in a position to experience the miracle-working power of God. We've all had situations, circumstances. We prayed. We didn't get the desired outcome, but God worked in that situation. Maybe God did things different or even better than we had hoped or prayed that he would. So we have to pray. I'm encouraging you and I'm encouraging me beginning tomorrow that we pray about this vision every day by ourselves, with our families, For us at the church as a staff and at church together that we just pray, not God give us 15,000, but we pray for a fresh moving of God's spirit in our church and we pray for our community and the people in our community, tens of thousands of people in our community who do not know Jesus Christ. And if they died today and stepped out into eternity, they would not go to heaven to be with God forever. And so the number one thing we have to do is pray. Number two thing we have to do is to obey. To obey, one of the things I love about First Baptist, it's a it's a obedient, prayerful, flexible, open-minded church. As, as we move on in this, God certainly will tell us, you need to do this, you need to do that. We have to be willing to obey. Number three thing we have to do, we have to be willing to go where the people are. Where are the people? Well, they're not in church. I mean, we've got hundreds of people in church, but I'm just saying the people we're trying to reach, they're not in church. That These these. The best hope of what I'm talking about happening today is with these students right over here. Tomorrow, this entire week, you guys will be with hundreds, if not thousands, depending on where you go to school, of your peers, most of whom do not go to church and many of whom do not know the Lord. I mean, if we just had the students from the local schools in church here, we would far exceed the goal and the vision that I've just mentioned. And so the students every day, but when you go to school tomorrow, you can't just look at this, you can't just look at it and say, well, I'm going to English, going to algebra class, going to band practice, going to football. You have to look at it when you walk in the door of that junior high, the door of that high school tomorrow. I'm walking in this school. Yes, I'm going to class and yes, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I am walking in this school today as a representative of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to take my Bible and beat people over the head with it, but you know what? I'm going to have my eyes wide open and I'm going to be thinking, which one of my friends doesn't go to church? Which one of my friends needs to be saved? And I'm going to invite, so we have to go where the people are. If you're going to fish, you go to the lake. Why? Because the fish live in the lake. You go to where the fish are. You go to where the people are. Now, with COVID, it's been hard for all of us. But I'm saying as we come out of this, we have to look for opportunities, whether it's ball games, whether it's 
just, just a thousand different things that could be out there within the community. We go where the people are. Number four step. We pray, we obey, we go where the people are. We invite the people. Now, as God leads us, we want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but we invite people to come to church with us so that they can find help and hope and healing in Jesus Christ. You know, we had somebody, one of his ministers said this to me after staff meeting the other day. I believe it was Jennifer Phillips, our minister of uh, children. She said, John, on Sunday mornings, especially for the 11 o'clock service, we'll have parents that come and they bring their kids and they check them in to the nursery area, to the children's area. Then the parents will go to the service. Many of you are in this category right now. Your kids are in childcare. You're in here. And she said, last Sunday, we had a lady that did that. She dropped her kids off. And she said, I just want to thank y'all, what y'all do here at First Baptist for the kids. And I want to thank you that, that we have services for the adults. She said, you know, with covid with everything that's gone on, the financial stresses that is put on, people losing jobs, family stress that's put on. She said, when I come in First Baptist every Sunday, I walk in that worship center. She said, I sit in the back. And she said, it is the only hour that I have in my entire week where I can find peace and where I can think about the presence of God. And some of you today would say, well, that's how I feel. John, life is so chaotic. Family situations are so upside down. But when I come to church, I can find peace. You see, you know that you can find peace here. But think about the people you know who don't, they don't have that hour a week. They're just out there without God and without hope. Now, let's just think about this. We're trying to go, last week we had 1,500 people at church, 1,300 in here and 200 in there. If each one of us in the years ahead, make a five or 10 year vision down the road, if we could say, you know what, with God's help, I'm good to bring 10 people with me. I'm good for 10 people with God's help. 10 neighbors, 10 friends, 10 friends I go to school with, 10 family members. I'm good for 10 people with God's help. You would go from 13 or 1,500 to 15,000, just like that. Think about what that would be. We would have baptisms on Sunday. You would be up there in the baptistry area watching your friend or watching your neighbor being baptized. Let me ask you this. When is the last time that you ever went to the baptistry with a friend you had led to Christ, and while they were being baptized, you stood up there and watched the baptism, and when they were coming out of the water, you gave them a thumbs up? When's the last time you did that? Well, say it's been a long time. Well, it may have been, but I'm saying if this vision is of God, and if this vision resonates with you as it has resonated with us, that could become a possibility. It is our job to invite people to a place, the house of God, where they can find help and hope and healing in the midst of a chaotic, hopeless, messed up, pagan world that has lost sight of God and lost any direction in any moral uh, bearings or any moral guidance out there, but to invite them to come to the house of God. The other day, I was coming back to church. I had gone up to uh, Jimmy Chonga's to pick up something to bring it back, so I was already in a good mood, and I was driving down Center Street, and I was looking at all these houses in this beautiful neighborhood that had been built, and I was looking at all the trees and all the things, and between those houses and between those trees, I looked up, and I could see the cross on the top of the bell tower. That cross has been positioned, that bell tower was turned at the very end so that if you're coming up Red Bluff, either way on Fairmont, down Center Street or Red Bluff, you can always see the cross. And I thought, isn't that something? As I'm going through 
all this, just looking at this stuff, I look up and I look above it and I can see the cross. And friend, what I'm saying to you is there are people in this community by the tens of thousands, by the tens of thousands. And we pray, by the way, that not only our church would reach them, but that all the churches will reach them. So let me say this as a pastor, and we all, all ministers should say that we are not in competition with other churches. We are on the same team. If they're lifting up Jesus, good for them. I'm hoping they're reaching people. We're lifting up Jesus, good for us. I hope we're reaching people. But Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. And what I'm saying to you is we have an opportunity to, to lift up Jesus in such a way to say that if you'll come to church at First Baptist or any church that teaches Jesus, but since we go here, we'll invite them here where you'll find hope and where you'll find help and where you will find healing. And then the last thing, we're going to pray, we're going to obey, we're going to go out there where the people are, and we're already out there really any, anyway, but when we go out, we're going to be mindful these people may not be saved. These people may not have a church. These people may be a divine appointment. God's put them in my path to invite them to come with me. And then not only that, we are going to expect God to do exceedingly, abundantly all that we can ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. We're gonna pray this and work it towards this, but we're gonna believe that God is going to let us be a part of something here at First Baptist and in our community that is supernatural, and that is miraculous, and that can only be attributed to the power of God. Now, I'm asking you today with me to make a commitment to be a part of this and to pray. I, I read, I'll tell you this and I'll stop. I read yesterday in my Bible in Judges chapter 15. I'm just show you this thought. Sam, it's a story about Samson, and Samson had just defeated the Philistines. And after the battle was over, Samson was out in the middle of the desert out there, and it was dry, and he was thirsty, and he prayed, and he said, God, you gave us victory over the Philistines, but if I don't have some water, I'm going to die of thirst. And Judges chapter 15 and verse 19, it says that God, <laughs> it says that God struck the hollow ground, the empty ground, and water came out. And it says when the water came out, Samson drank it. And it says when Samson drank it, he was refreshed, he was revived, he was energized. Now, you don't need me to tell you that in our world that we're living in today, it is, it is, it is a spiritually hollow in many senses, a spiritually dry and empty world. But if we would pray that God would strike the hollow ground and bring water out of nothing so that those of us who are saved, think about this. How many people do you know who are even saved? that have a passion for God. I mean, a lot of it out there is kind of a ho-hum, take it or leave it type of Christianity. I mean, many of us, of us who are already saved, we need to drink that fresh water and you know, we need to be revived ourselves. But then think about the people who are, who are unsaved, have no hope of heaven, no hope of, of eternal life with God, no peace in their heart, how God could use us to reach them if, if, Indeed, this vision is from God. And if we say, you know what? I'm going to change my mindset on life so that I can get in on what God's doing and so that my life can count for Jesus Christ. Amen.